0: Hey, this is Dr. V. The episode you're about to listen to is deeply, deeply personal for me. And actually, after we recorded this um, episode, my producer, Brody with Press Play Studios here in Greensboro, he, uh, he shared that he had the same uh, experience with his brother. And so, uh, it just lets me know that a lot of people are affected by addiction and that we need to have these conversations um, and support each other. Brody and I have worked together for over a year and I never ever talked about it. Um, So um, we are dedicating this episode to our brothers, my brother, Ben Williams, and his brother, David Clays. Rest in peace. My name is not Dr. Google, I'm Dr. V. I want you to be healthy and happy, so we're going to talk about all the things I can't fit into a 15-minute appointment. Let's get started. Step into my office. Hello there, and welcome back to another episode of Office Visits with Dr. V. I am your host, Dr. V. I'm Benita Williams-Vernado. I am a board-certified OBGYN and a certified lifestyle medicine physician. And I am so excited to bring you episode 16 today. Episode 16 is actually, this is a personal one for me. I am interested in health and wellness and I'm trying to get fit and and live my best life just like everybody else. But this one hits a little close to home. I'm going to just, first before I get started, if you are enjoying this podcast, I would love for you to leave us a favorable uh, rating. And also give us a comment. You can also follow Office Visits with Dr. Viet on Instagram and Facebook. And you can go to officevisitswithdrv.com to stay posted on all the great things we have coming ahead for you guys. So I'm just going to jump right into the episode and just share with you the, the motivation behind this. My guest today is my cousin. Her mother and my mother are first cousins. And so we're friends on Facebook. And she posted something that just blew my mind. And I don't think that people realize like how phenomenal and amazing it was, like what she posted. And I was so excited that I posted it and shared it on my page. And then I got all these comments saying, oh, my gosh, congratulations to your cousin. She posted that she had been clean, sober, off drugs for 12 years. For 12 years. Now, one year is like, that's good. Five years is great. Ten is good. She said 12. I mean, and like literally, like in the moment, it just... I I was just overcome. The reason I was overcome, and this is the personal part, is because my family has been personally, my immediate family has been personally affected by drug addiction. Now they call it substance use disorder. (laughs) Carol is shaking her head. I'm going to bring her in in a second. But my oldest brother had an issue with substance addiction. He died, gosh, it's probably been about six or seven years ago. And on his death certificate, it will say his cause of death was cancer. He had a very rare cause of lymphoma. But I, in my heart, know that it was drug addiction that, that took his life. He, he was diagnosed with lymphoma, and it was rare. It's going to be hard to treat. And he needed a transplant. He needed a stem cell transplant. And just to give some background, he's my, my brother. He's older than, 10 years older than I am. I was not a planned pregnancy. It's going to make sense <laughs> when, when I wrap this up, but I wasn't a planned pregnancy. But make a long story short, he um, was at a facility and they were going to do the transplant, but they needed a match. And I ended up being a perfect match for my brother a perfect match for my brother and so we were all ready to do the stem cell transplant but in order to be a candidate for the stem cell transplant you had to be clean you had to be clean you couldn't test positive for drugs there were some other things but i think it was like two or three times i was ready to go to nashville and like every time his drug test was positive and he could never ever he couldn't get the transplant. Now, you know, the cancer was was aggressive, but I had met people along the way who had the same type of lymphoma. It was one, crazy. One woman that I worked with, her brother, had the, the same rare form of lymphoma. She was a transplant. I mean she was she was a donor for him and he had lived eight years. And so what i what i learned and i'm not i'm not you know mad at my brother in any way but from that situation that he he couldn't stay clean to save his own life he couldn't stay clean to save his own life and i realized in that experience how powerful substance abuse drug addiction how very powerful it is and when you have somebody who can overcome that and come out of it we have got to celebrate it we have got to celebrate it and so I I, this is this is this is important and I know some of y'all might not have picked up this podcast because you're like I don't have a problem with it but coming through COVID Y'all, we're seeing people are relying on substances, and we know about the opioid crisis. Currently, this is um, according to a 2017 national survey, approximately 7.2% of individuals age 12 and over have some type of drug addiction. About 5.3% have alcohol use and 2.8% with some illicit drug use disorder. Another statistic I read was about 10%. Honestly, we don't really know how many people because people don't talk about it. People don't talk about it. And so this affects not just my family, not just my guest family, Carol. It affects many families globally, but definitely here in America. And honestly, it's getting worse. It is getting worse. So without further ado, I would like to introduce the phenomenal I'm going to say her whole name. (laughs) Look at that face. She's Carol Jean to me. Carol Jean Tyson Crawford. Let's give her a finger snap. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And real quick, Carol, let me just give your title. She works at Horizons Behavioral Health in Georgia, where she is a, did I say it right?
1: Columbus, Georgia.
0: I'm sorry. Let's say Columbus, Georgia. Georgia's a big state. New Health Horizons Behavioral Health in Columbus, Georgia, where she is a WAM certified peer specialist and she is also a social service tech too. The number 2. So, welcome Carol. Thank you for coming on, cousin. Hi. How are you doing, cousin? Doing great, doing great. Before we get started, just so folks know your credentials. What what is that? The sort certif- a WAM certified peer specialist. What is that? Well, WAM wham,
1: the the word WAM is really an acronym for a wellness holistic addiction prevention.
0: Okay. All right. And so you are a peer specialist, so you are helping other people who used to be where you were go through the program. I
1: am. I am. I am. I. My objective is to provide the necessary tools, whether they're basic relapse prevention skills, early recovery skills, life skills. This very broad, it pretty much targets the whole and everything. And I am in a position where I provide those tools so that they can indeed prevent relapse and just rebuild their lives and, and become productive members of society.
0: Mm. Rebuild their lives. Rebuild. Hmm. So, so, okay, so you, you have a story to tell, but at the core, let's start off with who is Carol Tyson? I'm sorry, Carol Tyson Crawford.
1: Carol Tyson Crawford. Is a grateful recovery addict and alcoholic, a grateful wife, a grateful mother, daughter, niece, a productive member of society who mess has been turned into a powerful message. I am very compassionate. I have a lot of empathy. I believe in serving. I believe that anybody, everybody has a right to be here regardless of their backgrounds or their current walks of life. Mm-hmm. I am a person who sees no color at all and that enough people. I am a person who will give the CEO and the janitor the same level of respect. Hmm. That's who I am I'm in a nutshell. I'm all about being a service for others and playing my part.
0: Hmm. You you had me tearing up with uh my mess has turned into a powerful message. Yes. So yes. all all of those are wonderful things that you are now, uh or that right. you just stated. But right. I know that that hasn't always necessarily been the case. So just kind of tell us your story of, you know, how how your addiction got started. Well, the way that I
1: am supposed to tell my story, I'm supposed to tell you guys what it was like, what happened and what it is like now. Well, what happened is I am the oldest um of three. I Literally, I'm 10 years older than my brother and 11 years older than my sister, which means I was the only child for a very long time. Mm. And I got accustomed to that. I'm the first grandchild on my dad's side. I'm the first niece. I'm the first. So they spoiled. So you were spoiled. Okay. I was spoiled, which at a very early age allowed me to wear a hat of entitlement. Ooh. If that makes sense. Like, people were supposed to do this. Mm. They're supposed to do that because of who I am. Now, although I had this hat of entitlement, I also had some other issues in regards to low self esteem, feelings of inadequacies, feelings that I didn't belong hmm. at
0: times. Hmm. Uh, I don't. I, I mean, a, like, I don't mean to cut you off, but to be spoiled and then to also feel like right. you don't belong—that is a, an interesting paradox. But go ahead. I'm going to explain to you why I say
1: I'm grateful that I'm Covered from that way of thinking, mm-hmm. but the reason I felt like that is because on my dad's side, I was spoiled. Not to say that my mom did not provide for me; she's 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 the bottom and she's the best. Mm-hmm. But I was extremely spoiled, and I got what I wanted. Put it that way, because my mom was more of a disciplinary. Okay. You know, which is needed. So you know, you no. Like a tw- daddy's girl. I was yeah, I'm his first child. I'm his only child. Okay. So now on the flip side of being or feeling inadequate and in in and feeling low self esteem is I didn't look like my mom and my sister and my brother.
0: hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And oftentimes when we would all be together, people will be like, oh, that's your child. And and I felt the type of way. Yeah. About that. Yeah. So that's where that's where the two come in.
0: Let let me just for our listeners who are listening, you know, black folks, we have this whole colorism thing. And, you know, we've been diluted through the years. Um, those who where the children of the slave masters are, are fairer-skinned and were thought to be better and prettier than. And the browner you are, the less favorable that was. And so my aunt-cousin, as I call her, is, is, very, is fair. And my other cousins are fair. And Carol and I are brown sugar. <laughs> So uh, that that's the that's the difference, and especially for African Americans, I can we can relate to how that can kind of play out. So right, yeah. so, so so you didn't know pretty,
1: but you know for the most part, Bonita, that that's where little issues started to develop. Yeah, yeah. and in and, and, and it had gotten to a place where I'm like really obsessed over that. It, you know, it it, it became. It became part of a natural thought process for me. You know, feeling that I wasn't worthy or I didn't measure up or because I I, I was just different in my mind. I was loved. Mm -hmm. I was provided for. Yeah. I had best clothes and I had the best stuff and things, put it that way. But I wasn't my best on the inside. Mm-hmm. And later on in the podcast, I, I would explain why it's an inside job that must take place in order mm-hmm. to suffer. Mm-hmm. So I had yet to get there. So what ended up happening, I one of, one of one of the things that I'm most grateful for at, at, at my early childhood, when I was able to travel to a lot of places and experiment things, you know, with my mom and my sister and my brother. And then I found something that just kind of woke me up a little bit, if that makes sense. Hmm.
0: What was that? That was, the, that was the score of track and field. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. Carol, can run, y'all. She can run. (laughs) Yes.
1: You know, I, to this day, I simply adore the sport. I mean, I'm I'm all in. It's on television. If if grandkids of mine are participating, I'm there. It's just, I have a passion for that. So, you know, keeping in mind, I still had the unresolved issues, but once I found my knack for track and field, it boosted me, son, right? But it wasn't enough for me. Hmm. Um, we ended up coming back to North Carolina after we had traveled several places, and we ended up in Kansas, which is which is our folks' hometown. <laughs> and I am, as a matter of fact, I got my class. Straight out of class of 1990.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh my gosh, straight out of bed. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes, I am um, sure. a lot of Shout out, people. shout out the kids in high school. High school. <laughs> <laughs> yes, North Carolina, baby, the bike, you, baby. Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> your classmate in
1: here. <laughs> so, so, you know, I, I became part of this family this this track and field family and i was pretty good you know i i ended up getting to a place where i I was was afforded a a partial scholarship to attend college to st augustine's college in raleigh yeah north carolina and that's where it began wow wow Keeping in mind now, I told you that my mom was a disciplinary, but she was very sheltered.
0: And she should be. She, she had She sheltered you. You were sheltered. She, or she was Well, she was very protective
1: of her kids, you know. Oh, right. And she had every right to be, you know. I mean it it has literally taken me everything that I've had to go through to understand, truly understand. Why she is the best mom in the world? Hmm. And so, what ended up happening once I got that little dose of freedom in college, I didn't know how to handle it. When it came to when it came to my priorities, when it came to keeping it. Me, back up a little bit. I did have a rebellious streak. Now, very practical. <laughs> I'm not going to sit here and act like it was just this, that, and third. I did. I was very rebuilt. and I think that had a lot to do with my internal thoughts and feelings as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, you know, once I got to college, I was introduced to marijuana and alcohol. I went to a frat party one night. Mm. And when I experienced that marijuana and the alcohol for the first time, I said, "I found my solution." Mm. Your solution, yeah, that was my solution mm. because what it did, it gave me a, it gave me a false sense of safety. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense, because what it did, it temporarily, it temporarily. Enabled me to forget about anything negative that I thought about myself or any of any type of anything that would make me feel down or bad about me. Mm. So, in a nutshell, what it did, it gave me a false sense of confidence. If that makes right, right, and it, it wasn't, it wasn't true. Now,
0: right, you said temporary. <laughs> yeah.
1: Right, it was very temporary.
0: Now, are we saying this was this was straight weed marijuana? Nothing. It wasn't. It wasn't <laughs> less, at, it was, at this point. The, the other
1: substances had not come into play. Okay. Many years. For many years, I simply drank alcohol and smoked marijuana.
0: So, what? did you finish out college? I did not finish out college. I keep out of school. Wow. Wow. Lost now on
1: top of the on top of the mess that I had. Now here is some more mess that I'm putting on top of. So I must I remembered it that day so well. I was like, oh my goodness, my mom is gonna kill me. <laughs> you know, and but she didn't, you know, what she hurt, yeah. Was she disappointed, yes. Yeah. But she was still there to support, you know. So what eventually happened, I ended up leaving North Carolina and I came back to George. It was time for me to just go. You know, I, I was very impulsive. That was part of my beliefs too. I, I acted on a lot of impulse. I did not think things all the way through. Mm. And, as a result i I ended up where I ended up
0: can Can I ask a quick question? Do you sure. believe I hear people say that um people have an addictive personality. Do you believe that there's such a thing as an addictive personality? Yes, yes okay. yes so i'm I'm assuming impulsive is in there somewhere yes, impulsive and compulsive. Hmm. Right. Compulsive. Right. exactly. Yes. Very much so.
1: You know, I'll say this and I'm going to get back to the story. One of the greater gifts I could have ever received in this process was the knowledge or the information about the disease of addiction. It Really gave me a better understanding of why I did the things that I did. Mm. That I wasn't a horrible person,
0: right? Right.
1: It's just I suffered from an illness, right? As with any other chronic illness, I'm gonna get. I'm gonna get back into that. Okay. Race, but
0: All right, so we pick it back up. You got down to Atlanta. You were well, not Atlanta. I'm sorry, Georgia, Columbus. I got back down to Columbus. I messed around and and got with with some first cuddles of mine
1: who we were in the party scene and we that's what we did we partied we partied we partied i messed around and met my kid dad and had three children back that particular relationship was very abusive that's part of my story too mm. part of my story is not only drug abuse but the physical abuse and also making the decision for choosing certain type of need mm. <laughs> you know see i was the type that had no real self-esteem remember
0: bring it home i did not thank you i I, I said no yeah bring it home because you say you made the choice but subconsciously was, you yeah. you had made the choice because of how you felt about yourself I, that, those issues had yet to be resolved right because see i'm like i'm piling on to this stuff right so
1: what ended up happening, fast forward, and I had my three kids, and, and I made a decision, an impulsive decision, to move to Aberdeen, Maryland. Once we were in Aberdeen, Maryland, keep it in mind, I, I made four decisions about me, and I, I ended up going to Maryland with another man. I was over there,
0: Dad. It was in Maryland where I got introduced to Popeye. N- so before Maryland, it was just weed and alcohol or
1: marijuana. And alcohol. It was just weed and alcohol. Cocaine was in the picture, but I wasn't youth. I was selling it.
0: Woo, uh. child, we got not only well, I
1: Not, not, not. I was not only addicted to the dope and the alcohol. And I was also addicted to the lifestyle. Mm. So I ended up going up to Maryland, and I ended up. Still selling drugs, hanging with people associated in the lifestyle, and then I tried. So,
0: what was it like? So I, I know you're thinking, all right, you're trying it. You're in a space. I mean, at some point, do you like, okay, this this act right here might change my whole life? Were you thinking like that, or well, see, or, well. Yeah, well I'm going to tell you, I don't have time to think because if anytime
1: I'm drinking alcohol, they will lower my inhibition. Ah, uh, okay. So you were telling me that My drugs and choices? is they are alcohol, coconut, and marijuana. I'm not the one with one of them. I have three of them. Okay. So, I mean, they all, they all play a part. In, in, in my addiction. So, no, I didn't have, I didn't even have a chance to think it through because I was wasted. I did it. And guess what? I like hmm Now, it wasn't, it was powder cocaine at first. And I stayed in Maryland about five years, Dibbling and Dabbling, with powder cocaine, marijuana. Alcohol, selling drugs. <laughs> not able to pay my bills. Not being a good mom to my children. It was just horrible. Mm. It was horrible. And then I messed around and got myself into some some trouble that could have potentially taken my life. And that scared me so bad that I called my dad and I told my dad I was a very afraid to tell my mom because I didn't want to hurt her. So I called my dad and I told my dad and I asked my dad to keep calling my mom and keep telling her what's going on. He did. So they got together and they sent for us to leave Maryland and come back to Georgia. I got back to Georgia. I left Columbus in 1998 Went to Maryland, got back to Georgia in two thousand and two. By two thousand and three, I was completely addicted to crack coke. Hmm. Keep it in mind, I remember I told you that I, it was powder first. So when I got back in two thousand and two, I got a, a third shift job at Diddy. And I was a serve. And one of the denials that I used to justify my use of powder cocaine that kept me up to work through this shift. Now, keep in mind, I, I at, even at that point, Bonita, I still did not concede to having a problem. I was not the problem, everyone and everything else was. Yeah. Right.
0: And are your kids living with you this whole time?
1: No. What happened is I'm getting to that part now. Up until the crack. Yes. So one night I was at work and I couldn't find any powder. The dealers that I would go to say the only thing they had was crack. In my mind, cocaine is cocaine. And I tried it and it got me just like that. Hmm. Transparency is who I am. The truth will make me free. All right. Tell it. So so what ended up happening, there were moments where I I ended up quitting that job. I stopped paying my bills. Mm -hmm. I would leave my kids at home alone. Yeah. I would prostitute. Mm-hmm. I would steal, I would not I would cheat, I would manipulate. Yes. I will commit felonies. Three, I might add, as part of my story. Three felonies. I have three felonies. Yep. So let me
0: just, because we're, we're here to help people. And y'all, this is an audio recording, but my cousin is tearing up. I'm sure she has told this story a million times. Yeah. Um, this pain is deep, though. And for you all listening, I want you to understand what this, what substance use can, what it can do. She just said it. She was prostituting. I'm going to just read a list of things that this is kind of how we help to make the diagnosis. You're feeling like you have to use the drug regularly, almost daily. You have urges, like you keep thinking about it. You have to take more over time. You spend money on the drug or whatever, even though you can't afford it. So what you said, Carol, is you didn't pay your life. But she was getting that drug, not meeting right. obligations and work responsibilities, cutting back on, social or recreational activities, continuing to use the drug even though you know it's causing problems in your life or causing you physical or psychological harm, doing things to get the drug that you normally wouldn't do, such as stealing. So it's, you know, I, I know my brother went to jail a few times, so it's not uncommon when you are addicted that you have a record because it's the drug that's driving your behavior. So you wouldn't normally be stealing and prostituting, but it's for the drug. You are doing risky activities when you're under the influence. And you're spending a lot of time either getting the drug, using the drug, or recovering from the drug. So these are some of the behaviors that happen. And this can apply to crack cocaine. I think we see it obviously I think with crack cocaine, we see a more profound effect. But some of these characteristics apply to people. These behaviors apply to people who have an opioid addiction, which is kind of more subtle undercover. They can still yes. go great at work and they can still function. I, I know that crack cocaine is powerful because as an obstetrician, I know that that maternal instinct, like you said, your mama's job is to protect her children. You love your children. But to leave your kids at home for the drug means that that drug is more powerful than that very strong um, maternal instinct. So Absolutely. Absolutely. So that you, got, you got out there, you got the felonies, and you were... Well, you were, I did not commit the felonies so out back here to Columbus. Right. So you're in Columbus. I'm here in Columbus, and
1: I'm in and out of jail, and out of jail committing felonies, First degree forgery, possession with intent to sell or district meal, possession of a crack type. But, you know, that third felony was my saving grace.
0: Mm, how so? It was that
1: I, met, I ended up in jail and I had to go to court. And when I went to court, the judge sent finished me to treat. And even though I was mandated by the court, I haven't looked back ever since. Well, this was in two thousand and nine. Two thousand
0: and nine. Now, y'all, she's twelve years clean and yeah. sober. So, are yeah. you you saying you're saying up until college until two thousand and nine? I used. You used, but you had Ever yeah, since I was 17 years old. But you had no treatment, no no therapy, no nothing. Nothing. So the first time you got help was when you got your felony and you were sentenced to treatment? Yes. Wow. So when I left treat well, when I left the jail and went to
1: treatment, I went to a semi residential program by the name of Journey to Recovers, it is one of the programs within New Horizons of Abraham. It was there that the counselors encouraged us to get sponsors and begin this, the, the, the 12-step process. It would take us to 12-step meetings. You know, I was fortunate to meet my sponsor that i had all 12 years. Oh, wow. Um, I'm currently at her house now.
0: Oh, wow. She said, hi. Hey, sponsor. <laughs> can we give her a shout out? You sure can. Her name is Cheryl Sapp. Come here, Miss Cheryl. Hi. Hey, Miss Cheryl. We thank you for everything. We thank you for everything. I was trying to be quiet. <laughs> well. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. And thank you for the work that you have done. And with carol and for others and thank you yeah we're gonna give god the glory for sure he gets all the glory for sure but for 12 years so so carol what made the difference like because you said which which i was really impressed by is that you said once you got treatment you never look back like no nope. I, I hear about people relapsing all the time and you once you got help you were set tell me about that. Okay,
1: so she said. Okay, so it wasn't until I got into the step work process and I started to dig and, you know, like, you know, how you would go in a garden and you would pull up all the weeds yeah, and, you and sure. think that was stopping your flowers from growing. Oh, yeah. I, that's pretty much what the step work did for me. It helped me pull up all those weeds and everything, all of that ugly stuff, all of that dishonesty, all of that of the resentment, all of that bad stuff. It helped me rid myself of that stuff. And then, along with other components, like if I wanted to get high, I didn't pick up the dope, I would call my sponsor and I'll talk to her. Hmm. I'll make a 12 step meeting. Stop hanging around people, places, and things, and find me some new people, places, and things. Right, right. It's just, it's just so many different suggestions that the program provides, and it really does work if we follow. So I made the decision to do that, but I have to share this. I was at, I was at at what well, at the time I did not know it was going to be my home group, but my home group, my 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 sponsor's husband was there. And he, he shared that he only had one white chip, meaning that's what happens when we go and we surrender to the program. Well, every time we get ready to celebrate, they, they give us a, a, a key tag or a chip system to and help us mark our cleaning time. Wow! And the first one that starts the, proce- the process is a white chip. And he said that he only had one. He only had to pick up one. And I said to myself, if he can do that, I can do that. Um, too. That's why I only have one white, white chip chips.
0: So let me clarify. So if you relapse and you come back in, you would get one. You would chips. have to start all over. So, you could, so somebody could have one white chip, but they could have 10 white chips. Exactly. Okay. So that means they relapse. Okay. That's, yeah, that's
1: because it, it's, it was something faulty in their program. Wow. You know, one thing about the program of recovery is it's outlined the way it is by who designed it. It does not need for us to add anything to it or take anything away from. We are just to follow.
0: Mm, Okay.
1: And so that's what that that that's a driving force in my life still to this day. Wow. still Yeah, I still got I still in contact with my sponsor. I'm still working steps. I'm still making meetings. I also sponsor women, too. so I have, to, I have to stay connected in this process.
0: I I will tell you, I have oh, I have some patients. I, I can see them right now who are are dr- struggling with substance um, abuse, and or I'm sorry, that term is not it's not substance abuse anymore. It's not substance abuse or dependence. It is substance use disorder, S-U-D. But I, that's one thing that I noticed. I could tell when they were slipping, when they were not making their meetings, when they were kind of pulling back from their support system, I could tell they were headed in the wrong direction. So for, our pe- for people who are listening, and, and I will say for me, you know, I haven't used drugs. I'm kind of boring in that way. I do drink alcohol every once in a while. But, you know, living through that experience of seeing someone go through it was was difficult. And it really has to hear you say that whole time nobody got you help or you didn't get help is is powerful. So I was looking at kind of some of the things that we as family members can potentially can recognize to say, hey, maybe this person is having a problem. And so, Kara, I'm going to go through this list and you can tell me, you can add or chime in. So problems at school or work, either frequently missing school or work or sudden disinterest in work or school. Physical health. They lack energy and motivation. They're starting to lose weight or gain weight. Their appearance is neglected. Which I'll say that's one thing. Ben never. He didn't seem to learn that. Just, you know, lack of interest in the the looks and the grooming and the clothing. Changes in behavior. Exaggerated efforts to keep your family from entering your room or your personal space or being secretive about kind of where you're going. And then lastly, money issues. Start, you know, asking for money without a real explanation. Or you find that, you know, there's money missing. I know that was one thing that happened to me. I left $20 on my nightstand. And I mean, on my dresser and I knew it was there and then it was gone. And so that was I didn't know we had a drug addict in our home. But, you know, that was one of the things looking back is stuff started getting missing. So for people who are listening, how can you know, can you add anything to that? How can you recognize when your family member is in trouble and how can you go about helping them? Well,
1: One of the things is, is to recognize behavior. If, you know, something is off, so to speak, that's an indicator that something could potentially be wrong. Again, if items become this then or move swings, things of that nature, you pretty much touched it like, inconsistencies with school and work. That's a change in behavior. what of course that their appearance and their appearance is a short giveaway. Right. A lot of people, a lot of people will begin to lose weight, not care about the personal hygiene, things of that nature. But you pretty much you pretty much touched on on, on all of the warning signs.
0: So is there something that Your family in those early years back at St. Al or when you first went to Columbus, is there something that they could have said or done, which I think you said, I'm going to go back to something you said. It's an inside job. Right. It's an inside job. But is there something that they could have done or said that could have gotten you to help sooner? No. Ah, that hurts. Is that the truth? That's the truth, isn't it?
1: Mr. True.
0: Cause you are a and, 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 and this is what I wanna say. And so many
1: family members blame themselves. Right, right. For their addicted love. For you know, I have a very supportive family. I have always had a very supportive family on my mother's side my mom, my aunt, so my mom's side, my uncles on my dad's side, my dad, my aunts, my uncles. I have always had all of the support I ever need, or could even ask for. Mm. It had nothing to do with them. It had everything to do with me. Ooh. And I have to I have to, you know, I remember, I remember sharing with my mom, and I told her, you did an amazing job with your kid, you know? It's not her fault. It's not my dad's fault. It's not my aunt's and uncle's fault on mm-hmm. either side. They poured it into me. My mom kept me in church. She raised me right. Right. I made the decision to do what I did. Now keeping it in mind, I did not know that it would progress like that because disease of addiction is a progressive illness.
0: Right. And chronic, yep. Very, very.
1: So that, you know what that chronic that chronic means if I was to make the decision I have with drink to death, then I'm right back where I knuckled off. That's that's how called It's so important that family members, and I'm speaking to the family members as well today. You guys educate yourselves on what the disease of addiction really looks like, right? It's not just a mindset. It's not something we can just switch on and off like a light switch. It is a chronic illness that must be treated.
0: So we're gonna wrap it up, but. One, and I'm gonna I'm gonna close out by just defining what substance use disorder so we, we, we leave on that note. But what is something that those of us who do not struggle with addiction don't know about those that do?
1: There's many myths. It's a mind thing. You can stop anytime you want. It's a choice and alcoholics, or bums, of homeless people. It's so many things that people really do think about. The addicted person and drug addiction. Well, I'm here to share that, the inspiration from the truth. The truth is, it is definitely an illness, you know? We don't wake up in the morning saying, man, when i grow up, I don't want to be a drug and drug, you know. Right. Right. You know, I had dreams and aspirations. I'm supposed to be on in the Olympics somewhere. Right in China. Absolutely, Carol. It does not discriminate. Right. It doesn't mean that we're bad people. We're not bad people. We just sick people trying to get better.
0: Right. See, One
1: day. That's better.
0: Yes. Yeah, so like high blood pressure and diabetes, substance use disorder is now recognized as a chronic condition. And it is a complex condition in which there is an uncontrolled use of substance despite harmful consequence. It occurs when the recurrent use of alcohol or drugs causes clinically significant impair- impairment. Clinically meaning we're in the medical realm now. Like she said, it's a problem, including health problems, disability and failure to meet major responsibilities at work school or home so you know i i thank you carol um for sharing and let me just say um during covid at some point they were saying you know it, it got out into the medical field that people were drinking more and i started asking my patients and oh my lord People were drinking hard liquor like they had never done before. I mean, pe- and they didn't kind of know why. And it was starting to become a habit. Right. So I think that that statistic that I read earlier and even 10%, you know, I I think more people are dealing with this. So I just thank you for sharing your story. And to those family members who are listening, this is her story, her truth. She didn't put blame on anybody but herself. Absolutely. But one thing that I will highlight and I will continue to 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 shout and keep in the forefront of our minds is that this started as a seed of insecurity. I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. And that is where I think that the mental health interventions need to start. And sometimes we don't even know what drives us to do what we do but would she be an olympian at this day if mental health were a regular part of your physical exam when you go to the doctor every year if somebody was checking on her mental health every single year every six months just because um you know how, how would carol's life be different and that's something that we don't do in america that's something, especially in the black community, it is a stigma and you ain't getting me to talk to nobody. But this, that's where it started. That was really the seed. And so thank you so much for sharing. And um, if people want to, to get help or if they want to reach out to you, have you speak, where can they get in? in t- well, let's let's take the first one. Where can they reach you?
1: Or how did I oh, that's with Carol? I did you already provide my email address or
0: yeah, we'll put it in the show notes. But if you can say uh, a website or something that where people can contact you,
1: well, my I'm going to provide my email address is carol Tyson 266 at Gmail. I do have a Facebook page and it's called Empowering Lives. And if anybody misses podcast and struggling with addiction, and you just need to talk. I am available.
0: So, for those who are not in in Georgia, maybe they don't want to call you. Or th- what what resources do you recommend? Like the first step they can call. Yes. NA. The, first,
1: the first step. Me personally, I'm a product of treatment. Thank God for treatment centers. I went through the treatment center, Now I work at the very Saves Treatment Center. I suggest. Either a residential treatment center or an outpatient treatment center in your local area. Get tapped into those services, let those people help you. Mm. By way of the treatment centers, treatment centers will introduce what's out in the community
0: in your area. And you also incorporate that into your daily risk. Daily, 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 daily. So. Daily. All right. Well, Carol, thank you so much. Everybody, that was Carol Jean. (laughs) Tyson Crawford, who is at New Horizons Behavioral Health, and she is a WAM certified peer specialist. And she is also my family, and she has been clean for 12 years. She (laughs) She got one white chip and never looked back. And so Dr. V loves you. The whole reason I have a podcast is so that that we can all win and come up together. So if you found this helpful, or if you know somebody's struggling, go ahead and share it with them. Please, 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 please share it with them. And if you are someone who thinks maybe you might have a problem, just might, hopefully you can reach out to your family or your healthcare provider. So there definitely is help. Carol is proof that you can overcome this disorder. So we thank you so much, Carol. And all to my listeners, we will see you next time on Office Visits with Dr. V. Thank you for listening to Office Visits with Dr. V. My prayer is that something said on this podcast will get you started on a path to your optimal health and wellness. The information, including opinions and recommendations discussed in this podcast, is intended for informational and educational purposes only. Such information is not intended to be a substitute for the advice of a qualified and licensed physician or other health care provider. Although I'm a doctor, this does not replace the advice of your licensed physician or health care provider. So please... Seek the advice of a qualified healthcare professional before making any changes to your healthcare regimen. And another thing, just by listening to this podcast, doesn't make me your doctor. However, if you want to stay connected, please follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Office Visits with Dr. V, and go to my website at officevisitswithdrv.com. That's officevisitswithdrv.com. Let's follow up next time. Blessings.